Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon. Right, Man, I love worshiping with you guys. I love worshiping with you guys. I love being a part of fam, a family of God that honestly gets it. I feel like when I step into this place, there's so many of us that, that, that you guys just get it, and you love Jesus, and I feel like this isn't a place where we come to just talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel. I feel like this is a place where people honestly love him, that want to continually be transformed by him, want to be impacted by his gospel, and I'm so blessed to be a part of this family. I love you guys. It's such an incredible blessing that we have, man. And uh, I'm excited about continuing on in worship with you guys. You know, we know as Christians, the word tells us that the type of worship that we're called to is intelligent worship. So um, that means that we know what we're doing and everything that we do is an act of worship. It's not just music, although that's one of my favorite aspects of worship is pra praising God through music. It's literally everything that we do. It's a life that's lived for God. So I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're scrubbing the toilet, man. If you are scrubbing the toilet for God, for his people, because, I, hey, I love Jesus, I love his people, this is going to be like the whitest toilet you've ever seen. I don't care what it is, man. It is, it's, it, when it's given to God, it's an act of worship. Everything that we do, our entire life, we are called to live as an act of worship to God. And so I'm um, including the sermon here. I, I'm, I've missed that for a few weeks. I was on vacation for a little bit, and then we had a couple other speakers. I know Dad came a few weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, we had Brian Allen here. Was anybody encouraged by Brian Allen's story in here? Man, yeah, absolutely. We can give. I mean, it's giving God praise because of what he's done. I'm always encouraged by his story and what God's done in his life, what he's continuing to do. So pray for that ministry and what's going on there. Several people, hundreds of people get saved every year, actually, through his ministry. Um, he doesn't uh, brag about that, but that's something we can kind of brag on him and what God is doing in his life. So pray for him. But I'm excited about diving into this sermon. I want you to know, man, when you don't have a preacher up here that is perfect, that is declaring these things, saying, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what we need to do. This is what God is speaking to us, man. And, and as we um, open this up and we dive into this, there's several things that God has kind of put on my heart, laid on my heart. But um, there's several things that God changes every single week. And it's kind of a scary thing, um, but it's also an incredible thing. And I'm looking back and I'm like, wow, God, did you just say that to me? That was like, you know, almost like he's got a mirror there looking at me. So I say that, you know, as we dive in together, I'm really encouraged by that. And it's really, um, it's really exciting. And uh, I love worshiping with you guys. So we um, have been in a gospel series for the past several weeks now. Um, a lot of sermons actually have kind of gone through this, this series. We took a break for a little bit, um, but this is the last sermon in this series. Um, we've actually reached the end of it. And it's kind of bittersweet because I've enjoyed this. I've really enjoyed kind of diving into this series. And the whole point of this, if you haven't really been here for many of these sermons, the whole concept, the reason for this series was to show how everything in the Bible um, points to this gospel message. Everything, the Old Testament, the New Testament, different books, different themes, it all has this one unifying overarching theme, which is the gospel message um, of hope, freedom, and redemption, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that word gospel, all it means is good news. It's the good news of Jesus. And so this is the last sermon in this series. And I want to start this last sermon off with a question, very deep, challenging uh, question, very serious question. I'm actually kidding. It's not deep and serious at all. It's actually kind of, it's kind of a fun question. 
Um, has anybody in here ever been afraid of the dark before? Anybody? Raise your hand. Come on, this is church. Don't lie. Anybody still afraid of the dark? Don't lie. This is church. Oh, thank you. Yes, we have someone that's... <laughs> yeah. We have a couple honest people in the house. Man, when I was a kid, I was terrified of the dark. Like, I mean, not, not just scared. I was so scared of the dark, dude. I was one of those kids that, like, I would pull up the covers, like, uh, you know, up above. Like, I, I wanted my eyes... To, I, I wanted to be able to see what was going on, so I kind of pulled the covers up right here. And every part of my body had to be, like, covered by these blankets. I don't know why. I, I guess I thought, like, these thin little blankets were going to, like, protect me from something. I, like, what are they going to protect me from? And I, I don't even know, what, like, what I was scared of. Like, the dark was going to jump out and get me or something. I don't know. Looking back, it's kind of crazy to me. But even if I had, like, my foot just kind of peeking out of the covers, I would freak out. And even, like, my toes or something, I had to quickly get them under the covers. Because if I didn't, then the dark was, like, going to grab me or something. I don't know what it was, but, you know, and it may not be the dark for you, but every one of us have different fears, right? But if you tell me you've never been afraid of the dark, I'm going to think you're lying to me because I think everybody's been afraid of the dark at some point. Praise God, he delivered me from that last year, so it's been a good year in the trip household. Okay, what are you laughing at? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. No, he, he freed me from that as a kid, but I was, I was terrified of it. And, and it may not be the dark for you, but every one of us is scared of something. All of us, we have different fears, and, and there's the temptation to fall into these fears, right? Fears that we're more prone to. So for you, it might be the fear of the future. It might be fear of the unknown. You know, it might be, you know, relationship issues and fears, like, for example, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of debt, you know, uh, finance, financial fears, or fear of, you know, for example, health or pain. Some of us have very deep seated fears and horrors in our life, especially seasonal ones like the Hallmark Channel during Christmas time is a very big fear of mine. I think there's something very seriously wrong with that. And uh, if you like the Hallmark Channel, I'm going to pray for you. I'm pretty sure it's a sin. I think the Word tells us that um, a few times. But I'm going to pray for you. But we all have different fears, man. And, and uh, maybe it be the Hallmark Channel for you, even though it's a real fear. Um, it may be some people are scared of bugs. Anybody in here know of somebody that's scared of bugs? We were just talking about this earlier today. I told you. Um, yeah, so many people are scared of bugs. I'm talking about these tiny little things, man. You can barely even see. And these people that are scared of bugs, they got like eagle eyes. They can see that from like 100 yards. I see a bug right there, right there. You know, and my wife is one of these. I got permission to say this. Um, my wife is one of these. She is so scared of bugs. She's terrified of these things. And we live in this little townhome. There's, um, there's two stories and so sometimes, there's been several times where this has happened, okay? No joke. Like, I've been downstairs in the living room kind of doing my thing, and then she'll be upstairs, and then I'll hear this, like, blood hurling just, just scream, like, David, David, come up here. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? I'm, like, running up the stairs thinking the axe murderer is in my room or something, you know? So part of me is kind of like, you know, with us guys, testosterone going, it's like that heroic, like, you know, thought, like, okay, I'm going to go save my wife. This is going to be great. And then a part of me is kind of freaking out internally, like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'm ready for this right and I get up there I'm like what's going on and she's like look look do you see I'm like no I do what do you is there somebody hiding in the closet like what no what are you talking about right and she's like look at it she's like pointing the corner up there kind of towards the ceiling she's like look at that thing I get a little closer because I have to get closer to actually see this thing it's so tiny and there I see like this tiny little bug and I'm like are you kidding me I'm thinking in my head like Dude, that thing is more scared of you than you are of it. Like, you could have killed that thing 10 times over in the time it took me to get up here, you know? It's just great. But so many people have that fear. A lot of people are scared of bugs. And a lot of you people that are laughing, I know you're scared of bugs too, some of you. A lot of people have this. But, you know, everybody, all of us, we have different fears. 
And we're tempted to at least kind of fall into those fears. And what we'll notice in life is we'll start kind of pattering, uh, pattering, is that even a word? You know, we'll, we'll kind of pattern certain things, you know, uh, sift certain things in our life, move around these things, these fears in our life, so that we don't have to face those fears, so that we can avoid those fears. You know, when we're really honest with ourselves, we'll find ourselves doing it. And sometimes we don't even notice it until we look back and say, why did I do that? Oh, wait, yeah, I know. So I don't have to face that. Uh, somebody that I think of that, that does this, um, and he's very honest about it and open about it, is Howie Mandel. Have you ever heard of Howie Mandel? I think most of us have probably heard of Howie Mandel in here. He's been on a lot of different things. He's been on um, a lot of different shows, interviews, talk, show ho- uh, talk shows. Uh, he, he's been a host of that show. Um, I want to say The Price is Right, but I'm, Bob Barker, get out of my head. It's the uh, uh, Let's Make a Deal. He was on that show, Let's Make a Deal. And, um, and then he was also, I think he's still a judge on that show, uh, America's Got Talent, something like that. I guess he's still on there. I don't know. But anyways, yeah, he's been on a lot of different things. And he's very open about the fact that he struggles with a few things. One thing, he struggles with OCD. And you can go, I mean, you can, this is public knowledge. He's said this several different places. OCD, but then he's also uh, struggles with germs. Germophobia. He's a, he's a germophobic. He hates germs. He's terrified of them. And he will, like, um, do certain things to avoid very much so avoid these germs. Like, even as a public figure and a host of shows and all these other things, I don't care who he meets. I don't care if it's the president of the United States. He will not shake your hand. I don't care who you are. He refuses to shake anyone's hands. Like, all he'll do is give, like, a fist bump. And even the fist bump, you can see, it's just, like, really awkward and quick. It's like, like he doesn't even want to do that. And, and then I remember seeing a few times on that show, Let's Make a Deal, um, that he, he, some people would actually go up and give him a hug you know, like random people would go up and give him a hug. And you could see him kind of internally freaking out a little bit, like, oh, my goodness, this is not cool. Like, he just, he hated it, right? But, but we all, we, we're all struggle with different types of fears. We're different people with different fears. And when we're honest, when we look inside, we can see how we tiptoe around these things oftentimes so that we can avoid them, so that we don't have to face them. And, and as we dig a little bit deeper, what we find is these fears, when we allow them to, They can control certain parts, certain aspects of our life. They can. That's what they'll do when we give in to them. But even though we're all different people and we all have different fears, there's one fear that every one of us has had. Every one of us. No one has been immune. Everybody that has ever walked the face of this earth has had this fear, everyone except for Jesus. And this fear is so horrific. It's so bad, so big, that literally every other fear in life just kind of fades into the background, fades into the distance as as if it doesn't even exist, as if it doesn't even matter. That's how horrific this fear is. Imagine a point in life where there is absolutely no happiness. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's nothing to long for. There's nothing to strive for. There's no goals um, even when you're feeling down and you're having a hard time in your life, you, you don't have anybody around you to help you. There's nothing there, no joy, no comfort, no peace, no future, no hope. This is the fear that every other fear in life trembles in the face of. This fear is called death. Death literally had its grip around every one of us. No one was immune. A few weeks ago, we left off in this series with Jesus Christ hanging lifeless on the cross. Dead, hanging lifeless on 
the cross. That's where we left off in our gospel series. And what we have to understand is when we go back to the very first sermon in this series, we covered Genesis 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 3, that's when sin first entered the world. And as soon as sin enters the world, God ushers in this plan of redemption, his promise of an offspring that's one day going to come, defeat Satan, overcome sin altogether for those of us that believe. And, and we, we see through the Old Testament how God continues to provide for that promise to one day become a reality, that promise of an offspring. And then when Jesus is born, we find out that this is that promised offspring. Jesus Christ was the promised offspring, the promised Messiah that was supposed to come, defeat Satan, and overcome sin altogether. But then we leave off with Jesus Christ hanging lifeless on this cross. He's hanging lifeless. He's dead on the cross. And guys, if our story stopped there, then there would be no hope past this life. If our story stopped there, then death would still be calling our name. If our story stopped with Jesus Christ hanging dead on a cross, then we could declare, as Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 15, that if the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That would be our declaration. If it wasn't for the resurrection, there would be no future. There would be no light at the end of the tunnel. There would be no hope without the resurrection. But praise God. Praise God that even though Jesus Christ allowed death to take him on the cross, and yes, I said allowed death to take him on the cross, no grave could hold him. Death, hell, and the grave were not powerful enough to contain him. Death did not take Jesus without his permission. And when Jesus was ready to go, he took the power and the control that death, hell, and the grave had over our lives with him. Because of the resurrection, because of Christ's resurrection, death no longer controls our destiny. Our destiny is now controlled and paved by Jesus Christ. And that road leads straight to heaven. And it's all because of Jesus and the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The big idea today is as Christians, our victory is made complete through Christ's resurrection. As Christians, our victory is made complete through Christ's resurrection. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for what you've done for us, for the gospel. I pray that you, that you would renew this message into our minds for those of us that have heard it so many different times. I pray that we would knew it, we'd hear it in a new and a fresh way, that you would convict us, that you would speak to our hearts, God, and challenge us in the areas that we need to be challenged, God, and draw us closer to you, God. Break us out of our comfort zone. I pray, God, that for anybody in here that may have never responded to your gospel message, never truly believed in a way that changed their life, that moved them in a direction towards you. I pray that you would do that, that you would break down chains, that you would break down walls in our hearts and our minds. God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just flood this place, that you would take over. God, this is all about you. Use this broken, simple vessel, God, and speak to me, speak to us. God. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we, we left off in the uh, last sermon in this series. Again, it's been a few weeks ago with the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was hanging lifeless on the cross. And, and then right after that, we see in the text, in the gospel, that there's two secret disciples that ended up taking Jesus' body and taking care of him. Those two secret disciples, first of all, they're called secret disciples because, yes, they were true followers, disciples of Jesus, but it wasn't really that you know, public. Not a lot of people knew about this. They were truly followers of his. One of, his, one of those guys was Joseph of Arimathea, and he had a tomb. So he took Jesus' body off the cross. He asked permission, took Jesus' body, placed him in this tomb that belonged to him. 
And then the other one was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus took care of Jesus' body, wrapped him. Um, so those two men were the ones who took care of Jesus' body afterwards. And then something incredible happened three days later. Let's keep diving into this story with John chapter 20. We're going to be there, John chapter 20 today. Um, we're going to start with verses 1 through 10. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen clothes, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. So let's, let's pause in this story. Again, we're going to be in John chapter 20 for a while, but we're going to pause in that story for a moment. And so first off, we see in this story, in this text, this Mary named Mary Magdalene. And we know Mary Magdalene from the gospel. She was a disciple or follower of Jesus, believer of Jesus, and he'd impact her life in a lot of different ways. And, and she's going to the tomb to see, you know, to, to this tomb to, um, uh, you know, essentially just um, remember Jesus in these moments. And John doesn't mention anybody else, but we know from the other gospel writers that there were actually three other ladies that were there that morning at the tomb. And for whatever reason, God only or John only chose to talk about Mary Magdalene. But what we do know is that Mary um, was probably the first one there. And so most likely, that's one of the reasons that John is choosing to only speak about Mary Magdalene. And it's not a contradiction because he's not saying she's the only one that got there. He's just wanting to talk about her being there. Plus, on top of that, she's the one that went and told Peter and the other disciple who we know is John, the very guy that's writing this gospel and she told them what was going on but what i want us to do what i want us to, to challenge us to do is anytime that you're reading something in the bible you're, you're diving into you're engaging with the scriptures remember that these are real events this is stuff that really happened these are real people and a lot of times we'll use that word bible characters and i'm i'm guilty of that too i do that sometimes without even thinking about it i guess because it's just hardwired into my brain but man these are real people these are real people, and these people, like these people that were followers of Christ, they're in heaven, right? So these are real people, real events. So what I want to encourage you to do is put your feet um, into the shoes of Mary for a moment. That might be kind of hard for some of you guys. You might have had little feet. But metaphorically speaking, let's put our feet into the shoes of Mary and, and, and just you know, ask yourself, what would you be feeling in this moment? Because Mary, John was the only one of the 12 disciples that made it to the cross with Jesus. But there were other women that were there with him, and Mary was one of these ladies. So she literally just saw all this stuff happen, the beating, the crucifixion of Jesus. She saw him die. She's known he's been dead for a few days. Then she gets there, the, tone, the stone is rolled away, and he is gone. And what's her first thought? Her, th her first thought isn't going to be, oh, he's resurrected, because that's what happens. If you go to a grave or a tomb and the body's not there, he's resurrected, right? That's what we're going to think. No, you're not going to think that. Are you kidding me? No. She's like thinking the worst. She's like, what in the world's going on? And it's not crazy when we read that she thinks that his body's been taken, because what just happened a few days ago when he died, there were several Jews that were screaming for his death, several people that wanted Jesus dead. So it's not crazy 
to, to think that, you know what, somebody's taken his body. These people that wanted him dead, they've taken his body. And that's what's going on in Mary's mind, and that's what she goes and tells Peter. And again, this other disciple, this text tells us, which we know is John, again, the guy that wrote this gospel. And then when we read this part about Peter and, and John running towards the tomb, there's something really interesting that we see in that. Um, and I want to pause for a moment and... Uh, I want to just go ahead and say that everything in the Word, we have to understand everything in the Word is inspired by God, everything. So it's there for a reason, um, and uh, it's God-breathed, okay? And the reason for this is, is for us to glean some truth about God and kind of step into, it allows us to kind of step in, inside and kind of look at our own life, too, and see how God maybe wants to work on us. Everything is here for a reason, okay? So there's a reason that this is in the text. And what we see, there's something really interesting, is as these two guys, Peter and John, are running to the tomb, they get this information from Mary. They start running towards the tomb. First off, they're running together, the text tells us. They're running together. And then something happens on the journey there. Something happens because John ends up outrunning Peter, and he gets to the tomb first. And it's really interesting. And, you know, there's different things that are said about this, but a lot of commentaries that you read, there's actually a good bit that will say that it's because of the age difference, because Peter was older than um, John. And so because the age difference, that's why John outran Peter, because, you know, he's younger. So he should, you know, physiologically, he should be healthier, he should be running faster. But I struggle with that. And I'm going to be honest with you. And I, the reason that I struggle with that, let me explain this, is because the age difference there, even though there's an age difference, pretty much across the board, we know that these guys were younger. They were all younger men. I mean, you know, teenage, mid to upper teenage years, or low to mid-20s, somewhere in there. Pretty much across the board, it's agreed upon that these guys were about in that age range. So it doesn't really make sense to me as I read this text, thinking, okay, so John was maybe mid to upper teens, Peter was like low 20s. Why would, why would John have outrun him? It doesn't, doesn't make sense. And, and all of these guys, we also have to understand um, the, the day and age, man. These guys didn't have Cheetos. They weren't sitting around, like, watching Netflix all days or, you know, playing, like, Call of Duty all day or something like that, okay? These guys were young. They were strong. They were healthy. And they had to work for what they got. And when they were following Jesus, Jesus didn't thumb down calves all the time, like, all right, guys, come on. We got to get a big one now. We got, I mean, there's a lot of us. Let's see. There's 13. Okay, let's get it. They didn't have calves. They walked everywhere they went. These guys are long, young. They're strong. They're healthy. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that John would have outrun Peter because of the age difference. What I, when I read this text, I can't help but to remember back to the last time that we read about Peter, that we see Peter, what he's doing just before Jesus dies. What does he do? He denies Jesus, not just once, not just twice, but three times he denies Jesus. And what we have to understand is, for one, this just happened. This, it's not even been a week yet, man. It's been a few days. This is very fresh. This just happened. P Jesus just died. These are real events, real people. He just died. And the other thing we have to understand is with the denial part, we have to understand what that, actually, what that meant, what, what, he, what he was actually doing in those moments. See, he wasn't just denying following Jesus. When he denied him three times. He wasn't just denying uh, believing that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Messiah. It didn't stop there. It was deeper than this. Peter was denying ever even knowing Jesus at all. At all. That is the last thing that we see Peter doing before Jesus dies. 
Not just once, not just twice, three times he denies ever having known Jesus at all. I mean, that is worse than like, you know, saying something really mean or horrible to somebody before they die or, or doing horrible things to them. I think the worst thing that you could ever do is deny even ever knowing them, period. And he does it three times. That's the last thing he does that we see him doing before the death of Jesus. So as he's running towards this place where Jesus is at, how in the world would that not affect him in some way? That's the last thing that he did before he died. I think as I'm reading this text that those thoughts start creeping in and that really it's more of this shame and this guilt, this memory of what's happened and what he has done. And as these thoughts of shame and guilt are creeping in, the enemy is using this to turn his sprint towards Christ into a slow jog towards Christ, possibly even a walk towards Christ. Rather than a physical or an external struggle, I think in these moments, Peter is having more of an internal struggle. As he's running to this place where Jesus is, as he's getting closer to the presence of Jesus. And the question that's generated from this, because again, this, the word is here to uh, you know, to, to draw us closer to God so that we can question certain things in our life. And the question that's kind of generated from this is, are any of us struggling with that today? Are any of us maybe in here struggling with shame and guilt? That's kept us from Jesus. That's maybe slowing down our pursuit of Jesus in ways. Maybe there's some people in here and you've never truly given your life to Christ. Maybe you've kind of believed in some ways up here, but you've never truly submitted to him as Lord and Savior. And there's just something that's keeping you back. And you don't really know what that is, but you know, you're like, dude, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the kind of person I've been. You don't know the things I've done. How in the world could he accept me because of the things that I've done? I don't even accept myself, so how could he accept me? There's no way, and that shame and guilt just kind of just distances you from Jesus, and then other people, some of us that's, that are actually Christians that have given our lives to Christ, but have backstepped in ways, and then we try to get back to him, we try to go to church, read the word, we try to pray, spend time with other Christians, but there's something that holds us back, it's like this wall that we bounce back off of, and it's this shame and guilt because of what we've done, and we feel like, man, I don't deserve this, I can't do this, I can't live this life, I'm not good enough for him, and this shame and this guilt that just keeps so many of us down that the enemy uses. I think, honestly, that shame and guilt is one of the enemies, a couple of the enemy's biggest tools that he uses to keep us from the presence of God, to turn our sprint towards Christ into a slow jog towards Christ or worse. But what we have to understand is I think oftentimes we kind of have this misconception about what shame and guilt is. And we kind of have this idea that shame and guilt is always a bad thing. That it can never be used for a good thing. It's always a bad thing. Like when I think of shame and guilt, red flags go up. That is immediately a bad thing. And I don't deserve him. I have the shame and the guilt because I know I don't deserve him. And that's it. And it stops there. Because I'm going to tell you something. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It couldn't be farther from the truth. That's not true. 
See, God wants to use things like shame and guilt as these loving kind of just, you know, reminders and warnings to get us back on the right track. Because so many of us are going down this, this path. And he's like, I, I've created you for something so much better, something so much better than what you're doing. I, I didn't come to the earth. I didn't die. I wasn't resurrected. So that you can live in this life of just this muck and this filth and, and living as a, as a slave when I've died to give you freedom. I, I, I've created you for this life. You can walk in light of the victory that that I died to give you. Even though you struggle in this life, you can still walk in victory and you can know that eventually you're not going to have any of those struggles. You're not going to have any of those pains. Don't go down that path. Come over back over here. Don't go over there. Come back over here. Keep on going. I know it's hard. I know it feels like it's never going to end at times, but it is. You're only a few steps away. Keep going. Keep coming. And that's what God wants to use these things for as these loving reminders to get back on this path. Keep coming towards him when he sees us veering off towards these essentially spiritual cliffs in our life. That's what God wants to use them for. But again, the enemy will use these things, will use shame and guilt to turn our sprint towards Christ into a slow jog towards Christ, into a walk towards Christ, until eventually we are completely stagnant in our relationship with God. We are completely ineffective for the spread of the gospel. We're completely ineffective for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And rather than walking in light of the victory that God has given us as more than conquerors through Christ, we're instead walking around as victims as though Jesus Christ has done absolutely nothing for us. That's what the enemy wants to do. Again, God wants to use it as loving warning signs. As this is what happens when we allow shame and guilt to control our life rather than allowing God to use it to make mold and mend our life. But as we keep on going in this passage, we see what I believe happens where Peter, when when we give shame and guilt over to God, when Peter continues pursuing Christ, and he runs boldly straight into that tomb. See, John made it to the tomb first. But again, the word tells us things, and there's something to this. John made it to the tomb first, but he stopped at the tomb. But Peter may have gotten there after John, but he went boldly into that tomb. See, I think what happened in these moments is Peter's being bogged down by the enemy, by the shame and this guilt, but then God uses the very thing that was once slowing down his progression towards Christ to be the very thing that propels him in the direction of Christ, to go boldly straight towards Christ, regardless of what anything anybody else does, regardless of what's going on around him, with complete and utter abandonment. The very thing that, God, uh, that Satan was using to slow him down is now the very thing I believe that God is using to help propel him forward in the direction of Christ. And even though, guys, we might find ourselves sometimes slowing down in our progression towards Christ, we might see these things like shame and guilt flooding into our lives. We can know without a doubt that because of the resurrection, because of Christ's resurrection, God will turn that crawl towards him into a sprint towards him when we choose to claim his truths over our lives when we choose to live in light of the victory that he died and was resurrected to give us. Because Christ was raised, we can be raised. And not just in the physical resurrection. We can be raised out of our pits of despair. We can be raised out of our pits of depression, pits of anxiety. We can rise above the pains, the pressures, the struggles in this life. And we can claim the victory that Jesus Christ died and was resurrected to give us. Praise God that we serve a risen Savior, and we can be raised with him as well. Let's keep on going in this journey with John chapter 20, 
verses 11 through 18. It says, But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw the two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been laying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her. Since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am sending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. I find it interesting in this, in this text that at first Mary didn't even recognize Jesus. And even when Jesus said something to her, he still, she still didn't recognize him at first. But as soon as Jesus says her name, what happens? She immediately knows exactly who this is as soon as he says her name. This isn't some random person. This isn't the gardener. This is Jesus Christ, her Lord, her Savior, the one that she loves. Through it all, through the struggles, through the hardships, through the doubts, the doubt that like how in the world could this even be Jesus, nothing can keep her from his call. Nothing can keep her from hearing his voice and responding to her call, his call. Because at the end of the day, no matter what this life throws at us, guys, as true followers and believers of Jesus Christ, we know his voice, and we can hear him when he calls our name. I'm going to tell you something, man. Seasons in life may change. Things in life change all the time, but one thing that is always constant, that will never change, is the incredible the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the scandalous love of Jesus, and the fact that when you belong to him, he will never stop calling your name. Never. And after this, we're not going to read this section, but what happens after this in the text is Jesus actually goes, he appears to several of the disciples, and he shows himself to them. And they're able to talk with him, they're able to see him, they're able to actually touch his wounds. They see and they believe, obviously, that he's been resurrected. And then they go, one of the disciples wasn't there, though. They go, they tell this disciple, hey, man, look, we've all seen him. I mean, he's resurrected, he's, he's here. But he doesn't believe. Even though all these people around him are telling him, look, he's resurrected, he still doesn't believe, he refuses to believe until he's actually seen him for himself. Let's check this out in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. It says, but Thomas, called twin, one of the 12, was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the marks of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Guys, how many times have we been like Thomas in our life? Doubting Jesus after everything that he's done for us. Doubting his goodness, doubting his provision, doubting all these things. I mean, the fact that he's going to be there with us and for us, and he's never going to leave us. 
I mean, the, the times in our lives where he's done all these different things, the provision that we thought was never going to come, and the situations in our lives where we're like, how in the world is something going to happen? How in the world is somebody going to provide? And then supernaturally something happens, God provides. There's no other explanation other than Jesus did it. So many times we can look back in our lives and we can see these things, and the gospel and what Jesus has done, how he's changed us, transformed us, and the people around us. And yet so often, even through all of this, we still see ourselves doubting. So many times. When I read this passage, when we read this passage, when I read this passage, I'm, I'm tempted to read it and think, man, how in the world could this guy Thomas doubt? After everything that he's seen, he walked with Jesus. He literally like ate with Jesus, lived with Jesus for all this time, had a front row seat to these you know, sermons, saw all of these miracles and so many more that we don't even know about. All of these things that he's seen, how could he doubt the power of Jesus after all of this and all these people around him telling what they've seen, still doubting. But the thing is, guys, when I'm honest with myself, when I look in the mirror after reading this, I can see Thomas and myself. Through so many seasons of my life, I can see Thomas and myself. Even though he's never left me, he's always been there for me, he's always provided, he's always been good, even when I haven't. And yet I still look back and I see the seasons in my life where I've doubted him. What we have to understand through this text is the fact that until we stop doubting Jesus like Thomas did, then we're never going to be able to live in light of the freedom that Jesus Christ died and was resurrected to give us. Because that freedom only comes from naming and claiming his truths over our lives and living in light of those truths. Something else that we see in this passage is, is the fact that even though Thomas is still doubting, after everything that he's done, he's lived with Jesus, all these miracles, these sermons, everything that's happened, all these disciples around him that are telling them, that, hey, look, we've seen Jesus, this is real. After everything, he's still doubting. But what do we see Jesus doing? Jesus is still pursuing him. And guys, we have to understand, Jesus didn't have to do any of this. Jesus is God. I mean, John tell, it makes that very clear back in John chapter 1, Jesus is God in flesh. He didn't have to do any of this. He could have just wiped us off the face of the earth and said, man, these guys are never going to get it. Just wipe them off. He didn't have to do any of this. But he came to earth in the form of a man. He went through all this suffering, all this stuff, even though lived all these years on the earth, was tortured, was crucified, dead, and then was raised. And then he still, after all of that, even when people don't believe, he still pursues them, just like he's pursuing Thomas. And the question is, why? What is up with this? This makes no sense. Why would Jesus go through all of this? And why would he continue to pursue Thomas and to pursue us? And the answer to that is, he comes to those that honestly seek him. And he meets us, get this, where we're at. He meets us where we're at. Guys, in the word God tells us that you'll pray to me. He's talking to us. We'll pray to him. And he will listen. He says that we'll seek him and we'll find him when we seek him with all of our heart. We'll find him. Because when we genuinely seek him and seek his truths, then just like Thomas, our eyes will be open. And when we look at Jesus, when we read about Jesus, we'll be able to declare with boldness. We'll be able to proclaim, that is my Lord and my God, without a doubt. Lastly, in this text, in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life 
in his name. So here John outlines the whole reason for this. The reason for all of this, the reason that he wrote this book, the reason that God came in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, the reason that Jesus was beaten, tortured, that he, was, that he died on the cross, the reason that he was resurrected, all of this. And he's essentially telling us, look, you read through all of this, you've heard this, whatever it may be, but don't leave there. Don't leave without getting this because this is so important. This is the reason for everything so that you can believe. Believe, believe what? The gospel. What happened that Jesus is who he says he, what he is. John chapter 1, that he is God. Believe, believe that he died, and he died for our sins to pave a way. Why? So that we can have life, so that we can live. So we can live in victory in this life, even through the struggles and the hardship, we can have victory in this life. And so that we can actually experience eternity and paradise forever with him. Believe and live. That is the whole point of this. To believe and to live, to respond to what has happened. Not just to hear it as, oh, hey, that's a cool story. Okay, yeah, I believe that. That's cool. Yeah, I believe Jesus. No, but to actually believe, not just up here, but with our life. Because when we honestly get this, man, when we honestly believe and get this, dude, it impacts, impacts and change your entire life. You cannot leave from that true response to the gospel unchanged. It's impossible. The gospel demands response. Believe and live is ultimately our biggest blessing. It doesn't come from anything that this life can give us. As Christians, our biggest blessing, it doesn't come from fame. It doesn't come from possessions. It doesn't come from uh, achievements. There's nothing in this life can, that can ever touch, ever even begin to touch the incredible blessing that we have been given as Christians. Because as Christians, we have been given the promise of eternity in paradise forever with God, the sharing of the resurrection with Jesus Christ. And nothing touches that. Nothing that this world can ever give you. When we choose to follow Christ, what happens is we're covered in the shadow of Jesus. And so when the Father looks at us, he no longer sees the sin. He no longer sees the high treason against him. He now sees the perfection, the righteousness, the holiness of Jesus Christ that we are now covered from head to toe in. That's what he sees. And not because of what we've done. It has nothing to do with what we've done. It's because of what he's done. Look what Jesus has done. At the beginning of the sermon, we talked about how the greatest fear ever known to man, that, that nobody could escape, nobody was immune to except for Jesus. Before the resurrection, it was death. Death. And there was no escape, no way out. And if the gospel had simply ended with Jesus Christ dead on a cross, then we could declare, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, let us live life to the fullest right now, because tomorrow we die. Let us do whatever we want. Be whoever we want to be. Do whatever makes you happy in the moment. It doesn't matter. Live life right now. Enjoy every moment because tomorrow we die. That's the world's view. That's the world's view. Live it up. Be who you want to be. Do what makes you happy. Why? Because that's their concept. That's their thought is tomorrow we die. There is no hope, no future passes. There is no purpose, no identity. But with Jesus Christ, there is. Let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he stripped death, hell, and the grave of any power, any control it had over your life. And Jesus not only defeated death for himself, he defeated it for anybody that would follow after him. And for us as Christians, as followers of his, we can now declare boldly, we can proclaim, as Paul did, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? We can declare that death has been swallowed up in victory because of Jesus. 
Praise God that the gospel didn't end with the death of Jesus. And praise God that Jesus didn't only come down to die for our sins, but he came down to defeat death, hell, and the grave and rob it of any control, any power it had over our life. Praise God that we have the chance to respond to the redemptive message of Jesus Christ, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, be changed and live in eternity forever with him in paradise, where this life's weeping and sorrows will be turned into an eternity of never-ending joy and gladness. God, man, it's all because of Jesus. As the worship team comes up, I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're here today and you've never responded to the gospel message, if your eyes have never been opened to this message of hope, freedom, and redemption found through Christ, man, I'm encouraging you, please don't wait to respond today. If God is stirring in your heart in some way, don't wait. Maybe you're finding yourself in this place where it's like, you know what, I've kind of believed this. I believe in this story. I believe that Jesus did what he did, but I've never actually really submitted to Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. That's the belief. That's the response, man. Not just a a head knowledge of God, but a belief in him that compels a life that is lived for him. That's that kind of belief and live. And I want to encourage you to do that. Don't leave here today without getting prayer. If you're questioning that, you're struggling with that, don't leave here today without getting counsel. We'd love to pray with you to talk with you. Or maybe you're here and you're a Christian, but you've kind of noticed yourself kind of backstepping, not really taking it serious. Maybe you're struggling with the shame and the guilt, something that's keeping you back. And you just know that God has been convicting you of some things. And you're like, man, I haven't really been taking this seriously. I've kind of been coming to the church, but it's just a check in the box. And I've noticed that. If God is stirring in your heart, whatever it may be, man, don't wait. Don't wait to respond. He loves you. He doesn't want you to be perfect. He just wants you to surrender and just realize he loves you. and Step into this love relationship with him. That's it. I'll be here. I'd love to pray with you, to talk with you. The altar is open. So please, as we sing, I'm going to encourage everybody to go ahead and stand. We're going we're gonna to worship God together with one last song. But don't leave here today without responding. Hey, guys. First off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, 
Um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. And it's called baptism. And baptism is so key, it's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out uh, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.